Good morning, Hope Church. It's really great to be with you again this morning. Let's start with a word of prayer together. Father, we thank you. Thank you for your goodness and your faithfulness towards us. Father, we pray that you would speak to us today. Help us to hear what you are saying. We thank you, Jesus, that you speak to your church. And Lord, we ask that you would help us to understand and act on all that you teach us. In Jesus' name, amen. We now come to session four in our series on the seven churches. And this week, we come to the Church of Pergamum. If it was up to me, I would gladly have bypassed preaching on this letter because it is just a massive challenge. And I say that as a pre-warning for what is about to come. This is not easy teaching. But remember, these are the words of Jesus to his church. And so we need to hear the tough things as well as the easy things. So as we start on this fourth week, we now leave Smyrna and we move to Pergamum. Pergamum is about 70 miles north of Smyrna. It is still in existence today, but it is now called Bergama. It has some 60,000 inhabitants today, but at the time that this letter was written, had some 120 to 200,000 inhabitants. It was a famous city. It worshipped a number of deities, it had strong ties to the Emperor of Rome, and even had a temple to Augustus. It also worshipped Aslepius. Aslepius was the Greek god of healing. He had a snake-entwined staff, and that staff is now the symbol of modern medicine. Paganism was extremely prominent in Pergamum. If you don't know what paganism is, paganism is the worship of other gods other than the one true God. Let's read the letter from Jesus to Pergamum. It's found in Revelation 2, verse 12 to 17. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Pergamum. This is the message from the one with a sharp two-edged sword. I know you live in the city where Satan has his throne, yet you have remained loyal to me. You refuse to deny me even when Antipas, my faithful witness, was martyred among you there in Satan's city. But I have a few complaints against you. You tolerate some among you whose teaching is like that of Balaam, who showed Balak how to trip up the people of Israel. He taught them to sin by eating food offered to idols and by committing sexual sin. In a similar way, you have some Nicolaitans among you who follow the same teaching. Repent of your sin, or I will come to you suddenly and fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. To everyone who is victorious, I will give some of the manna that has been hidden away in heaven. And I will give to each one a white stone, and on the stone will be engraved a new name that no one understands except the one who receives it. The situation for the believers in Pergamum is most challenging, and challenging is a word you'll hear me use a lot this morning. Challenging because it faced external and internal pressure at the same time. Pergamum had two distinct problems. The first is external pressure through persecution. Believers were being put to death. And secondly, 
internal strife caused by false teaching, and that was demonstrated in the church compromising to avoid persecution. We're going to look at these separately. So the first one is external pressure and persecution. Pergamum was the home of Satan. It is where Satan had his throne. I don't know about you, but that would be extremely concerning. The obvious pressure from Satan is significant. The believer Antipas had already been martyred for his faith in Jesus, we read in verse 13. It is clear that his death was because you have remained loyal to me, in verse 13, and you refused to deny me. These believers were faithful witnesses, and indeed, this is what Antipas was commended for. One would imagine that this letter to a persecuted church would only contain encouragement. These are believers living in Satan's city, being martyred for their faithfulness, and yet Jesus has a few complaints against them. Verse 14. Craig Keener, in his commentary on the book of Revelation, states, Despite Jesus' special sensitivity for a suffering church, having suffered does not automatically validate everything we do or believe. And this leads us on to the internal troubles, which were much greater by far. This internal strife was caused by false teaching. Now, as is so often the case, churches can have internal as well as external struggles. It is evident that the church in Pergamum faced external opposition, and that was from Satan himself. But on top of that, they also experienced this internal struggle. Jesus commended the church for how they handled the external opposition, but wasn't happy about how they were dealing with the internal problem. As a church leader, experience tells me that internal church problems are often harder to deal with than external ones. This is true in any context. Internal problems with business or with family or the church are very tricky to deal with. Now, Jesus himself spoke about this subject in Mark 3, verse 24 to 25. He says, a kingdom divided by civil war will collapse. Similarly, a family splintered by feuding will fall apart. We do need to take note here. The Bible is full of admonitions about unity, about being at peace with each other. However, we cannot have peace by compromising truth. We cannot turn a blind eye to sin, but we have to deal with it effectively. Otherwise, Satan may well get a foothold in the church. Paul addresses this when he is writing to the Ephesian church in Ephesians 4, verse 25 to 27. He says, So stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbours the truth, for we are all parts of the same body. And don't, let, sorry, and don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. It is clear that church life is family life. It means that we need to be honest and upfront and we can't allow anger to cloud our judgment. Because if we do, the devil will come in and our final place will be one of division and that will end up in destruction. Pergamum's particular internal issues 
were caused by compromise. Compromise that was the result of false teaching. This was the cause of all of the internal problems that they were having. People were teaching something false and the believers were practicing it. Now, this sounds easy and obvious to deal with, but it's not. We don't talk too much about false teaching in the church these days. We live in a society where syncretism is a powerful driving force. And if you don't know what syncretism is, syncretism is the amalgamation or the attempted amalgamation of different religions, cultures or schools of thought into one. We live in a time where syncretic movements abound not just between churches, but all religions. I get emails from different groups that have in their title interfaith or multi-faith, and they're all trying to say that we're all part of the same group with the same common goal. And indeed, the government would like all religions in the same bag. Often, when we think about false teaching, we think it's not a real problem. We think that false teaching is to do with worshipping false gods or rejecting God completely or even worse, worshipping Satan. We think, you know, it's really obvious what false teaching is. And yet here in Pergamum, Jesus gives the false teaching a code name. He called it the teaching of Balaam. You may be familiar with Balaam, but if not, let me refresh your memory. Balaam was mentioned in the Old Testament. He is mainly known for being asked to curse God's people, but God turned his curse into a blessing instead. He's also famous for having a donkey rebuke him. What is less known is about Balaam's advice to King Balak. King Balak wanted to destroy the Israelites and he asked Balaam to curse the people, but he blessed them. But Balaam gave him advice about how best to trip up God's people. In Numbers 31 verse 16, we read this. These are the very ones who followed Balaam's advice and caused the people of Israel to rebel against the Lord at Mount Peor. They are the ones who caused the plague to strike the Lord's people. And verse 14 of Revelation 2 here fills the detail in a little bit. Jesus says, but I have a few complaints against you. You tolerate some among you whose teaching is like that of Balaam, who showed Balak how to trip up the people of Israel. He taught them to sin by eating food offered to idols and by committing sexual sin. Balaam was the only man successful in tripping up the Israelites. Not with weapons or soldiers, but if you know that movie Kung Fu Panda with a sneak attack. Balaam was extremely successful. So what was Balaam's sneak attack? Balaam advised Balak, he said, mingle with God's people and then entice them to break God's commands. It's called compromise. The results of Balaam's advice when acted upon were catastrophic. The Bible records that 24,000 people died before God from Israel through God's plague. Let me read to you the account. Find this in Numbers 25 verse 1 to 9. While the Israelites were camped at Acacia Grove, some of the men defiled themselves by having sexual relations with local Moabite women. These women invited them to attend sacrifices to their gods, so the Israelites feasted with them and worshipped the gods of Moab. 
In this way, Israel joined in the worship of the Baal of Peor, causing the Lord's anger to blaze against his people. The Lord issued the following command to Moses. Seize all the ringleaders and execute them before the Lord in broad daylight, so his fierce anger will turn away from the people of Israel. So Moses ordered Israel's judges, Each of you must put to death the men under your authority who have joined in worshipping Baal of Peor. Just then one of the Israelite men brought a Midianite woman into his tent right before the eyes of Moses and all the people as everyone was weeping at the entrance of the tabernacle. Then Phinehas, the son of Eliezer, the grandson of Aaron, the priest, saw this. He jumped up and left the assembly. He took a spear, rushed after the man in his tent, and thrust a spear through him and the woman. So the plague against the Israelites was stopped, but not before 24,000 people had died. Now, when Jesus is talking to the church at Pergamum, his complaint was, you are following the same error that the people did by listening to Balaam's advice. It seems that these false teachers had come into the church at Pergamum and they weren't telling people obvious things like, oh, let's worship Satan. No, that would have been too obvious. They were subtly encouraging the church to compromise. Now in Pergamum, uh, they have these trade guilds and you needed to join a trade guild if you wanted to earn a living. The problem was that joining a trade guild meant compromise. It meant you had to honour the patron deity of the guild. It meant you ate food sacrificed to idols or got involved in the, the sexual immorality that the feasting would often lead into. The believers were getting involved in sinful activities to maintain their living. The church was compromising true values to earn a living. Now this is tough teaching. Craig Keener in his commentary on Revelation says, one of the most difficult forms of this temptation may have been its challenge to the Christian's livelihood by denying their ability to participate in trade guilds. He goes on to say, for Christians in Pergamum to overcome means to continue steadfast in the face of opposition but especially to stand against teachings of compromise with the world and do their best to purge such teachings from their ranks. We are again in a period of history where to live by biblical values may involve job loss. It may well involve loss of income and we may be tempted to compromise. And believe you me, many will say, hey, it's okay. And even in the church, there'll be people who say it's okay to compromise. But let me tell you, do not believe them. Here Jesus says very clearly, it's not okay. I have a complaint against you. In fact, Jesus states to the church in Pergamum in verse 16, repent of your sin or I will come to you suddenly and fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Now you'll notice he says he, he won't fight against the church but those that are compromising on the truth that they have been given. Sadly today Christians often treat the Bible as advice not as command. Let me tell you this is a perilous way to live. In my time in Christian leadership I've seen that many of the ills that people face come from their own choice to ignore Jesus' teaching in Scripture. I want to sound out a warning here. 
Jesus does not tolerate compromise. If you ignore Jesus' commands, you may well find that Jesus himself is fighting against you. Remember that the church at Pergamum was faithful in some aspects, and yet by ignoring the commands of Jesus, it was enough to make Jesus their enemy. To conclude this morning, I want to make a few observations. Make no bones about it, Pergamum was a tough place to live. As you would expect if you lived in a city that was Satan's home. And yet, if we remain faithful to Jesus, we will be commended as Antipas was, even if we die in that faithfulness. But we must be aware this morning that the attack on believers is often not a direct frontal attack. It's not an attack on obvious doc doctrinal errors, but it is an attack trying to get us to compromise. Far more damage can be achieved by enticing people to sin. The real trick of Balaam was getting God's people to compromise with the culture that was around them. Listen to what Jesus says about temptation in Matthew 18, verse 7 to 9. What sorrow awaits the world because it tempts people to sin? Temptations are inevitable, but what sorrow awaits the person who does the tempting? So if your hand or foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better to enter eternal life with only one hand or foot than to be thrown into eternal fire with both your hands and feet. And if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better to enter eternal life with only one eye than to have two eyes and to be thrown into hell. In this passage, Jesus is clearly saying that we need to fight against temptation with all the energy we have and not give in to people who say, ah, compromise, it's okay, Jesus doesn't mind. The devil will tempt you to sin. Not avert in your face sin, but compromise. There are so many examples of compromise that I could give. Jesus spoke to the Pergamum church about sexual immorality. And this would be a good one for me to focus on briefly this morning. We live in a sexually immoral world. The sexual activity permitted in the Bible is that of a man and his wife. And let me be clear, the Bible says all other sexual activity is immoral in God's sight. Many will scoff at these words. Some will be angry. Some will want this kind of teaching that I'm giving to be banned. Our present world is no different from the world that the Pergamon believers lived in. Sadly, in many respects, we are even more perverted and more depra depraved. Now, this is just one example. We could multiply it many times over in many different areas. The Bible gives clear commands on just about every aspect of Christian life. It talks about divorce, paying taxes, honesty in business, how we speak and what language we should use, helping the poor. It talks about what we let into our mind through mediums such as television and the internet. It doesn't talk about television and the internet, but it tells you what you should think about and allow in through the eye gate. The world will encourage you to compromise on these values, but in the end, it leads to judgment. As people fall into uh, simple temptations, they will be faced with bigger ones. 
The Bible is not a toy. It is not a book of advice or suggestions. It is God's word to the world about how we are to live and to behave. Jesus is clear to his church. If you compromise against me, you will have me fighting against you. This is a hard teaching. However, Jesus does finish with a promise. He promises hidden manna for those who overcome. The commentary said that this hidden manna probably symbolizes God's promise of eternal sustenance from labor. Remember that the book of Revelation is all about us having long vision. Uh, it's about us not living in the moment, but about us having an eternal perspective. The perspective that Jesus wants us to have through the book of Revelation recognizes that we will not have an easy ride on earth. It will be costly. But being faithful, sticking to his truth and overcoming will give us an easy eternal future. Those who live according to the world, those who make this life their focus, those who compromise on biblical truth and look for ease and compromise here will have a hard eternity. We can have it hard here and easy when we go to be with Jesus, or we can have it easy here and hard in the next life. I want to encourage you to take the hard path here and be faithful to Jesus. And so I know this morning it has not been the kind of encouraging word that you might want, but it is encouraging in a sense that if we stick with it, Jesus is with us and will help us through. And so this morning, I do want to encourage you. I want you to make a new resolve, to resist the devil, to take the narrow path that few are on and to look forward and have an eternal perspective that Jesus Christ will welcome us into eternity in heaven with him if we overcome. And we know this amazing truth that Jesus has promised never to leave us alone. He will walk with us through every valley and every struggle. He's the one who is watching over us. Let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you. I want to thank you that you are with us. I want to thank you that we look forward to an eternal reward. And Lord, even though we have these troubles right now on the earth, even though we face these immense challenges, you will lead us through. Lord, I pray, would you baptize us afresh with your spirit? Would you help us to be hungry for you? And Father, would you give us the boldness and the strength not to compromise with the truth that you have given to us? And so, Lord, I pray, would you bless your people? Would you be with us and would you walk with us through these days? In the precious name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you. Have a really great day.